Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest today is Jason Michelli. He's a United Methodist pastor. He's the host of the Crackers and Grape Juice podcast and the author most recently of Cancer is Funny. He's also a good friend. It was great to reflect on these texts with him. I give you Jason Michelli. Jason, welcome back to the Synaxis podcast. Big crowd favorite. Thanks for having me. Jason Michelli, big crowd favorite. This is Christmas one. You shouldn't, people should not take their Christmas decorations down yet, right? Because they, they, and they should get their asses to church too. Exactly. There you go. Uh, but to, 12 days of Christmas, right? It was, it's Christmas tide. We have a, we have a tide. So do you have anyone in your family that celebrates 12 Kings Day? No, none. I have a friend in my church. He shows up with a sack full of like tools to give to my wife on 12 Kings Day. All right. Gave us a shop shop vac on Christmas. That why? I don't know why that's significant. What? What? My wife's very handy. Oh, one of the things I got my wife was a saw, like a. It looks like a uh, like a machete because (laughs) we had some issues with like branches in the bottom of our tree, and also she likes to like hack thing hack like in the yard. She does a lot of like horticulture, so so that was one thing I got her. Um, Well, they're Twelve Kings Day. Maybe I'll get her something a tool on Twelve Kings Day. Our first text is Isaiah 61, which is uh, what, you know, this is late in the book of Isaiah. We've got this picture here of, um, we have this sense of, of, of course, Isaiah is writing to people in exile, right? They're not, uh, they're not doing great. Um, <laughs> and we have this is great, interesting. I will rejoice. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God for his clothed me with garments of salvation covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels for as the earth springs forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up so the lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations and then there's the sense in which zion in the in 62 in the opening zion for zion's sake i will keep silent um, the nations will see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. Uh, it's very, it's interesting because here this is written to people who are, who's seemingly, I would guess, think that the best days seem behind them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> at least, I mean, you think about the, 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 you could look at this narrative arc in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, like it's sort of things after the fall, they kind of advance, 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 well, at least after the flood, maybe, or something, and Babel and whatnot. You get like, in advance, 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 even though there are individual sins and tragedies, in general, the promises to Abraham are more and more fulfilled, right? The, mm-hmm. It highlights with David, then after David and Solomon, you get the split of the kingdom, things go downhill, and here you've got Israel in exile, and these are promises, right, to Israel that, that things will change. Were you waiting for me to talk? <laughs> yeah, I, I was giving you a dramatic pause there. <laughs> yeah, no, I think Isaiah 61 is a helpful, um, it's a helpful text in the Christmas season to, re- 
keep us focused on the fact that the news brought by Gabriel and the story that unfolds in the nativity is the answer to a, a long longing on the part of Israel. Um, you know, and, and I think it's a good because last week or the week before we had the beginning part of Isaiah 61 and it's so easy to make, you know, this prophecy about good news being brought to the captives and the poor and the oppressed and, and to make those, you know, instructions or imperatives for our listeners rather than connecting it to the end of Isaiah 61 and, and this news that, you know, the Christ child is, is the one bringing us his own righteousness. Yeah. And it's interesting too, the, the mix of metaphors, right? It's start God's care for Israel. It starts off with a marital metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're working on a book on marriage. It's, it starts as a bridegroom caring for the lover and then it switches to gardening, right? Mm-hmm. Caretaking. But, but in both instances, uh, we have all this, um, rejoicing and salvation, righteousness, dressing and sprouting and, and, and blooming and which brings forth righteousness and praise. Uh, but it's not the result of the effort of Israel. Yeah. I think they're both passive. They're both passive images in the sense that, um, you know, it, like for Israel, at least you didn't get to choose your wedding dress. Um, you know, that like it's, it's chosen for you and that, you know, (laughs) Jesus is coming for you, whether you want to marry him or not. Um, in in the same way that a plant yields fruit, whether the fruit has any opinion about it uh, or not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's this picture of this gracious, caring lover and gardener. And then you have this interesting picture, right? That who's this for? On one level, it's about Israel and, and another level, it's for the nations. Like Israel isn't called over against the nations. They're called for the sake of the nations of the world. And so there's this sense in which somehow the drama of Israel's story will result in the nations realizing that the God of Israel is really the one true God, right? Seemingly. Yeah, because I mean, the, the, the prophecy that the connects to the Magi is just the chapter before this in Isaiah 60. The Magi, the mages, the wise. Arise men. and shine for your light has come. And yeah, it's interesting. I think of your light. You think of um, this scene in Lord of the Rings, like in Return of the King in the films, but and in the in the book, but um, it, you, this image of you you know all all this time you know in the beginning of Lord of the Rings it says it's a story about hobbits well it is a story about hobbits but it's also a story about the the, the salvation of Middle Earth mm-hmm. and oftentimes as they get out of the shower people are like what are these people like I know and they're saying well it would look like a half a man to you and you know there's a, so you have this at the end though when Aragorn and his bride come out uh, everybody kneels. Mm-hmm. except the hobbits, and then everybody looks at the hobbits, and they're about to kneel, and Aragorn says, no, we all kneel to you. Mm-hmm. And I, I see that, I mean, it's almost like, that. it seems like that yeah. is the picture of Israel and the nations at, at the day of the Lord, that all of a sudden the nations realize, I mean, how many how many nations in history had no idea Israel even existed, um, you know, in the ancient world? And, you know, but it's somehow the the climax of human history at the center of it, at the wedding feast of the Lamb, is this drama with Israel it brought to resolution through the one true Israelite. Mm-hmm. That's a very good Lord of the Rings reference. You didn't know I had that geekiness in me, did you? <laughs> I keep my inner geek hidden very often. Would you rather be an elf or a writer of Rohan? Oh, elf. Oh, elf. Really? I, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I, I'd go with writer of Rohan. You live longer. 
that's more magic like that's you know it's sort sort of like yeah i mean like it's like in dungeons and dragons you could be like an elf but you could be you get more magic than most humans in your class and all that stuff yeah hell elves are awesome i like (laughs) elves i'm into elves my friends you bow to no one Let's go on to Galatians 4. This is, uh, what a great text, right? This is, if, if you want to be, like, if you want to preach um, a good sort of, you've been on kind of a Protestant Lutheran kick lately. And this is like, this is the gospel in four verses. Yeah, Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons or children. I mean, uh, depending on how, what your translation has. The, the Greek there is male, but, you know, it's appropriately meaning to include all humanity. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you're no longer a slave, but a son, or no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then an heir through God. Yeah, there it is, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, the, the same theme, I think, continues from Isaiah in the sense that what we have in Christ is an inheritance, not an accomplishment. Yeah. It's interesting too, right, that you have this, um, one of the issues in Galatians is that nobody, you, you think of that movie 12 Years a Slave, right, where you have this tragic reality of this guy who is free and then through a, a, a tragic, you know, turn of events becomes a slave, which is almost worse, right? It's like slavery is mm-hmm. always awful. And how much worse when you knew freedom, right? Mm-hmm. Who would ever want, and, and, and yet this is what Paul is saying is the danger with this church in Galatia because they've actually known, uh, freedom and how could they, yet there's seemingly this, there's their desire to sort of kind of have a Jesus plus other things will ultimately give us real spiritual power and deliverance. That ultimately, Paul thinks, is a form of slavery. Mm-hmm. So why would you, after you're adopted, um, want to go back uh, to servanthood? <laughs> I'm just glad that we live in a time where Christians don't feel the obligation to add other things to the gospel. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> just grace alone. No, no, you have to's added. Grace alone and Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that I think that, you know, there's something very profound about just just the idea of gifting at Christmas um, forces us to remember that there's really nothing for us to do but receive. Um, and, and I think that, you know, especially like, you know, Lenten disciplines and, and, and all of that, I think Christmas maybe is the one season where we can remember that this is just something for us to receive passively as a gift. Um, and, and that that is freedom. Yeah. And it's interesting. There seems to be a double reception here, right? Because there's through this one. Also, it's interesting too. This born of a woman is interesting, right? Because I often wonder if, um, it, I mean, as patriarchal as the world was then, mm-hmm. it, why, why significant this born of a woman? You know, so mm-hmm. I, maybe there's a veiled sort of Mariology here, or maybe even, maybe the, the sort of virgin birth story. Yeah, I think I mean, absolutely. Who knows? I mean, this is, let's assuming Paul's writing this, you know, in the fifties. I'm guessing then that like maybe he has access to traditions that 
eventually become part of, you know, Mark and Luke, or, or Matthew and Luke's account. Who knows? But that's so speculative. So we should leave it at that. But, you know, there's this sense in which there's this deliverance, the status changes through Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, so your, so your status, there's like imputation, there's this legal kind of status. And yet there's this other double change that like the, the, the spirit needs to give you the feeling of sonship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because you can, you can have, it's interesting. You think about, um, Charles Spurgeon preached, uh, a whole sermon on four words in Luke 15, the father kissed him. He just made a whole sermon on that. And his point was that it was basically a sermon on the spirit of adoption. And he talks about how the son had his status waiting for him. He had the robe, he had the ring, he had, he was going to have the fat calf. And yet he wanted to be a servant. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and it's funny because true repentance, I don't think the son was really repentant in the sense of grace always produces repentance, right? It doesn't, you don't repent and then are the re- receptor of grace. It's actually grace that makes real repentance. And so mm-hmm. anybody that's ever practiced their speech, right? When you're practicing your speech, it's all self-interested. Okay, sweetheart, I'm so sorry I was late. Here's what I did. Or, you know, you're heading to the principal's office and you're rehearsing your speech. That's not where you're broken and brokenhearted, right? It's it's this father's kiss in the prodigal son story that actually stops the son's pre-made speech, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then he can he's he doesn't just there's not just the reality that his father will take him back as a son. It's 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 the experience of it. It's knowing it internally, um, not mm-hmm. just not just knowing there's been a status change, but but feeling existentially the status change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's good. That's, I mean, this, this was, uh, I mean, this was the passage we, we adopted our kids through, uh, it was a Calvinist adoption agency and we had to kind of do a faith statement and, you know, why are we? Did you have to be like a double predestination? Like, do you believe? (laughs) No, we just had to be able to like talk about God in a way that seemed like we weren't making it up. But, but yeah, this is, um, this was the passage we used to talk about adoption as a Christian norm. Hmm. Not not an exception that needs to be explained or justified. Um, so it's 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 an important passage, and I also think it's it's an interesting contrast to like how we normally treat Mary during Advent, um, where we treat you know let it be with me according to your word, where, where we treat her as kind of an exemplar uh, of someone obeying the law, um, and here she's she's just emblematic of bondage under the law. Yeah, right. I mean, even in Luke, there's this, you know, the sword will pierce, this will pierce a word that will pierce you, right? Even Mary will mm-hmm. be pierced because um, she is the mother of the Lord and yet also has to be brought into the spirit of of, of heirship mm-hmm. <laughs> with with a song. It's interesting. Richard Lisher um, has this book, The End of Words. And it's a good book. He, he says that um, sermons are, in one sense, they're repetitive, right? Because some things bear repeating over and over. And he writes that when the adopted child repeatedly asks her parents to recount the events surrounding her adoption, the story must remain the same. And woe to the one who introduces omissions or changes in the sacred formula. And then out of all the babies in the orphanage, you chose me, right? He says, could parents ever tire of telling that story? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's funny because I, I often think people think like, well, you know, the, the milk and meat story. Well, you know, adoption, the cross, that's the milk. And then you get to the meat of discipleship. No, this is the meat. This is the whole thing, right? It's, it's hearing this again and again that leads to the higher and deeper. Yeah. I was, it, it, it occurred to me, I think we were recording a podcast of our own recently, but it, it hit me that, um, really to, to risk your life as a Christian is really to, to, to bet everything on 
grace to to not live as nobly and as as you know Jesusy as possible, but but really to 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 kind of push all your chips in on on the grace that comes in Him, and to and to not try to do anything. Yeah, yeah. Is is this? I mean, and that I think is where what was this Eugene Peterson um, quote that discipleship is focusing less and less uh, on as, as folk, discipleship is focusing more and more on Christ's righteousness and less and less on your own. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the gospel reading. Where is the gospel in the gospel reading? Luke 2, 22 through 40. This is where Mary and Joseph bring the infant Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem, right, for for the purification rites. <laughs> Otherwise known as? I love purification. I have Purell, like, in, in the kitchen, in the bathroom. I love Purell. Really? Yeah. See, you're the kind of guy that I would take on a mission trip and you'd get sick because you've got no resistance built up. I lost 13 pounds in Haiti once. <laughs> I thought, this is great. What you should do, this is a great weight loss thing. You should just get your own parasite. You can name it. You ingest it. It's a weight loss. I'll bring them back. When this, yeah. Yeah, I have now. I mean, I actually have a pretty decent immune system, but I, I do like Purell. I like the way it smells. So when the time came for their purification, according to Lamas, they, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Um and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves. It's interesting, or two young pigeons. Now it's interesting there that that's what the poor. Yep. That so it's here early on. Jesus is identified. I mean, in his birth story, he's in a manger at the temple. He he get you know it's his parents clearly not people of means. And at the end of his life, he dies with people with the few possessions. He rides into Jerusalem in a borrowed donkey, and mm-hmm. his his few remaining possessions are gambled over right at the you know at the foot of the cross so, i mean it's, yeah. it's truly the one who be, who be, who was rich became poor literally for our and sake foreshadows his temple tantrum later in the gospel too the temple tantrum <laughs> yeah and also it's interesting too because they don't um talk about the ritual it's almost like he doesn't they don't describe the ritual cuz just jesus really need to be purified i mean it it does it does mm-hmm. he need to be made right like it's it's so that the law may be fulfilled. Like you know, it's sort of it almost seems like the same thing with John and the baptism. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. should it, you know? But we might do this that things will be fulfilled. You know, and as Presbyterians would say, decently and in order. <laughs> and then what's interesting, like so here, there's this sort of you know, Mary, uh, it, you're unclean right for forty days after you have a male child. Mm-hmm. So there's you know, and this doesn't have to be done at the temple, but apparently, I mean, but but they chose to do it at the temple. Uh, and then you have, I mean, imagine like if you're baptizing somebody at Aldersgate and pe- these two old kooks interrupt the baptism and say, do you know what this kid's going to do for Jesus? <laughs> yeah, and I think it's a really powerful image. You know, like if you go back to, I can't remember what chapter in Leviticus it is, um, but, you know, re- really under the holiness codes of Leviticus, you know, Mary shouldn't, you know, like Mary's not clean to approach the holiness of God. Um, and, and neither is Jesus until he's you know, circumcised. Um, but you know, Mary is there like holding the holiness of God in her unclean hands. Like that it's, if you dig enough, that's a powerful image, I think. 
Yeah, it's interesting too. Pope Benedict in his Jesus books points out that in every instance in the Bible, with the exception of Jesus, if unclean and clean come into contact, it's the unclean that makes the clean unclean. Mm. Except with Jesus, here's creation that the clean makes the unclean clean. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a reversal of the sort of the way the sort of defilement works. Yeah. You really like that Pope Benedict Jesus book, huh? They're fantastic. And I, I, like I, I would say to anybody that's studying theology, or if you're going to seminary, like it, it's one of the best introductions to biblical criticism you can find, I think, because he he deals with that stuff really well. Because he's a traditionalist, right? Because he's Roman Catholic, so he's an Orthodox sort of in, in the broadest sense. But because he's not a sort of conservative Protestant type, he's not afraid of higher criticism. Although he's critical of the critics, also. I mean, he. He's very comfortable with it, but also pushes back where he thinks the critics go too far or become ideological. I mean, they're, they're, those books are fantastic. What, what, it's what, what they're just what called they? Jesus of Nazareth, and they're the there are three volumes. The first is like from the baptism of Jesus to the transfiguration. The second is the passion. And the third is a small monograph on the infancy narratives, and they're fantastic. Well, I'll have to check them out, sir. I mean, they're the most, I think they're probably the most helpful thing in recent years I've ever read on the Gospels. That's a bold statement. I, I would stand by it too. It's not one I, 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 that I'm, I'm waffling on. So yeah, we get to, and it's interesting because they could have burst in, they interrupt this, this ritual. Although it's probably not this, it's funny too, because like, I don't know, it, on one level, it would be like a baptism, it, it, but, but yet, like, I don't know, it, it's almost like, uh, it's not a big family though, with some sort of Blu-ray video of the baptism. I mean, it's, it's, it's a family. It seems like you could miss, right? It seems like it would be at some parish, uh, in our day that might not be on the radar, right? Where, where mm-hmm. the, the rich, the powerful, the influential are not. And yet there, there, you know, there's this, uh, uh, Anna, Simeon and Anna, you know, behold, this is the child appointed for the, for the fall and rising of many Israel and a sign and for a sign that is opposed. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I mean, and they're, they're the sense that, you know, that Simeon basically says, I can die now. Like his bucket list is complete. I can die. I've seen the child. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's, it's a, this text is a helpful reminder that Jesus is salvation. Um, I, I think it's, it's a good way to connect with Paul's larger message about the cross being a stumbling block. Um, you know, the sense that, this child is, is going to be the cause of both rising and falling. So it's, it's a good entry into the gospel story itself or to the gospel, not the gospel story. Yeah. And I, it's interesting too, at the, at, when they leave, you know, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. And so you, it's interesting you put that in, Galatians, one born under the law, mm-hmm. and the one who sort of who endured uh, the loss of the favor mm-hmm. of God. My God, my God, why has that forsaken me? That we could, you know, that we could become by grace what He was by nature, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. the beloved Son. Yeah, especially like if you go back to Isaiah, you know, you have this prophecy about those on whom God's favor rests, and then this passage from Luke ends with you know, well, God's favor rests on Him. Yeah, yeah, and it's so interesting, you know. Also, like when you think. When some, when a child is born, right, it doesn't change. You, you don't become a different ch- sort of child. You, you c- could become a father for the first time, uh, but you don't 
become a different status as it you're born as a child and you're forever like that child you know Mm -hmm. you have a mother and a father but somehow the the birth and death and rising of this child changes our childhood i mean it gives us a new childhood i mean gives us Mm -hmm. a new identity as children you think one of my favorite images for for what the kingdom of god is like is this in the book of hebrews is you've come um not you know to um you've come to mount zion you know not uh, to the um, to Sinai with the fire and the fear, um, the the festal gathering of angels, and you you're part of you know the assembly of the firstborn, mm-hmm. right? Where everybody is the firstborn, right? Where nobody nobody feels like they're second rate. Everybody is the apple of the Father's eye. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. Christmas is I mean it's where my faith started. So it's. And it's and it's all about what you're just talking about right there. And may this Sunday for many people be a a, a, a Sunday of new beginning, new beginnings um, in faith. It's uh, retired pastor Sunday. I did not. Oh yeah, because it's <laughs> yeah, it's like the Sunday after Easter. Well, or student at Haverford Sunday. Exactly. Or maybe Anna and Simeon Sunday. You know the old mm. kooky people who 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 I love that phrase. Who are. Um, giving thanks and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So they're good characters for a Christmas pageant. They, they are, out. they are, they are. And for a good, you know, gospel reading. Well, thank you, Jason, for doing this. Thank you for having me, Scott. This was a rousing, quick and fun discussion. So we'll have you back soon. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review and subscribe or Pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks again to my guest, Jason Michelle. You can follow Jason's exploits at tamecynic.org and check out his podcast, Crackers and Grape Juice. Thank you again for listening, and we will catch you next week. Until then, fare thee well.